0: If you have a Bible, please turn with me to John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13. um, We're reading verses 1 to 17. If you don't have a Bible, uh, it will be projected here up at the screens, but there also should be a uh, hardback Bible in front of you. And so if you don't own a Bible, that is yours for the taking. We want to get a Bible in everyone's hands. So if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take the one in front of you. But as you're turning there, uh, our church is in the middle of a series on community fostering, uh, sorry, not on community fostering, on our core values. And today, uh, we're looking at the core value of community fostering. Uh, What we're going to do, excuse me, is uh, we've covered gospel centrality, uh, we've covered disciple making, and now we're on community fostering. Uh, Following this core value is our value of mercy and justice. Uh, We do have a fifth core value, but that we want to save until our mid-March missions, And so uh, this week and next week, we'll go over community fostering and we're reading from John 13. So as we turn our attention to God's word, please, would you stand at your act of worship as we read and receive God's word and give it our fullest attention? John chapter 13, starting with verse one, Hear now the reading of God's holy word. You have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be be to God. Please be seated. And would you join me in prayer once more? Father, as we have opened up your word, would you open up our hearts? Open up our ears so that what we hear, Lord, would be translated, uh, Lord, from mere words to life-giving words. For that's what your word is. It is life-giving. It is life-giving in that it wakens up the sleeping, and it's life-giving as, as it uh, breathes into dry bones, Lord, new life it's life-giving in that it sustains us, we who need to feed and feast on your truths. So have your way with us, Lord, this morning as we turn our attention. I pray that we would hear it to be edified and built up, encouraged and exhorted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know there are many practices that could form and fashion and create a gospel centered community but today as we read in the story I want to focus on this practice of serving one another and how that fosters community you know serving shouldn't just be comfortable and convenient in our lives but as Christians serving should be costly and cross-shaped and that's because the practice of serving is patterned after the great servant Jesus Christ And so to follow after Jesus means not only to follow him into glory, but it means to follow him into humility. You know, Jesus said in Mark 10 that he came not to be served, but to serve. And so I wonder what that would look like if God had his way in our community and we were a group of people who come not to be served, but to serve. You know, I wonder what it would look like if the priority of the Christian life wasn't only just personal holiness before God, but that it was practical service to one another because i think a lot of us when we think of our individual christian walks and we think of growth in grace we measure it by personal godliness how we are growing in the lord but growing in gospel grace also means being concerned with serving one another in the same way that jesus served us so if i were to ask you the question are you growing in the gospel are you growing in christ You can't simply answer that by reflecting on whether I feel like I am growing in personal piety and in prayer life and in reading the word. You must also begin to measure that by wondering and thinking and evaluating, how am I serving others? How am I blessing others? You know, Jesus says in verse 15 here, he says, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I want to make this clear. The Bible is not primarily a book about examples to follow and examples to avoid. The story of David is not primarily an example of how you with good enough faith can slay the giants of your life that's not why it's primarily written the little boy with the fish and the loaves is not primarily an example of how if you give god your little he can multiply it greatly jesus is not primarily an example of a man who lived with compassion and love and you should be just like him The Bible is primarily about what God has done for us in sending Jesus into this world to save us from our sins. That's what the Bible is primarily about. However, there are parts of the Bible, just like in verse 15, where Jesus actually says, what I have done is an example. You need to learn from it. You need to follow in my footsteps. And so we are to learn and do as Jesus has taught and he has shown And we meditate on this example of Christ's service. Now today's today's text, this uh, passage in John 13, is a very famous one. It's so uh, rich, it's so complex, uh, that as I was preparing... I was overwhelmed uh, by just how great this text is and so I decided to deviate from our original plan and I'm going to spend two weeks on this story. Um, Now, I've already done that. I just did that a few weeks ago and I don't want to make it a habit of preaching the same text twice in a row uh, but every once in a while you get to one of those passages where you just feel that it needs to be done. Uh, personally I feel that you know I either need to one um, spend two weeks on the sermon to really do it justice to dig in deep so either spend two weeks on it or the second option is to preach an hour and a half long sermon Uh, so I'm gonna say you're welcome now for deciding it to break it up over two weeks Um, But the whole point of this, and part of what I want us to do is, after uh, going through the text today, I want you to read it a couple more times this week. I really want you to chew it and digest it, because this is such a big bite of Scripture. I mean, all of Scripture is God's Word. All of it is equally inspired. But there are certain portions I think, uh, particularly if we meditate on it, would take a while for us to digest. And it reminds me, uh, years ago... Uh, I was preaching. Uh, I was leading communion service, and I and I had preached on uh, communion, and I challenged the congregation. I almost kind of rebuked the con- congregation to not be so timid in how much uh, bread that you took off, uh, because people were taking f- literally flakes off the loaf, uh, and the pieces were so small. I think you were burning more calories chewing that than actually, you know, eating it. Um, and so during the administration, uh, one guy in the church decided to take uh, take it literally, just. Fulfill, do, uh, apply what I had just said. So he came up and he took a he took a handful of bread, and by handful I mean. The bread uh, bread bowl size from Panera Bread, if you know how big that is. He took that, and it was so big that um, when I said, you know, it's particular bread, and he, he took it, and he was chewing, and, and I remember we got to the cup, and I looked over at him, and he was still chewing, and he still had half of it in his hand, um, and I remember he didn't finish until at the very end, I came up to do the, to the benediction, and he was working on his last bit there. You know, John 13 is like that large communion bread. We need to spend two weeks chewing on it. Um, so here's where I Really, this is not just, I'm not just saying, do this this week. After today, between now and next Sunday, read John 13 two or three more times. You know, spend a devotional on it. uh, Spend a couple of days on it. Really meditate on it. Let it digest. So as we look at it today, here's our gospel truth. The gospel of Jesus gives us the power and the example of Jesus shows us the posture of true servanthood. The gospel of Jesus gives us the power of true servanthood. The example of Jesus shows us the posture of true servanthood. And there's so much that we can learn from this story. Today, I just want to focus on two things for us. The first is this, the power and posture to serve indiscriminately. The power and posture to serve indiscriminately. So let's start with verse 1. The context of the story is told uh, to us here. It's right before the feast of the f- Passover. Jesus and his disciples, they're reclining at the table eating supper. And Jesus rises from the table, and verses 4 and 5 record for us that he laid aside his outer garment, and he picked up a towel. He took a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash his disciples' feet, and he, to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, the text is interesting because as John tells the story, he highlights Jesus and his act, but he chooses to mention and name two people specifically. In verse 2, he mentions Judas Iscariot, and in verse 6, he mentions Simon Peter. Now, let's talk about Simon Peter first. Uh, Jesus' interactions with Simon Peter is always entertaining uh, because Peter is so slow to understand everything Jesus is saying, but Jesus uh, is so patient uh, with him. And if you're familiar with the Gospels, you know that Jesus has an inner three. Peter, James, and John, uh, three among 12 disciples that he especially confided in. He walked very closely with these three particular individuals. And I mention this because if this story was told just about Jesus washing Peter's feet, or just the inner three's feet, I think we could conclude that uh, Jesus was simply serving those he was closest to. But in verse 12, we're told he didn't only selectively wash Peter's feet or the three's feet, that he washed all of his disciples' feet. And just the pause there, because if Jesus is telling us, this is an example and I want you to learn, I think we need to pause and reflect. It's interesting, Jesus isn't playing favorites. That his serving isn't limited only to those he preferred or those he was closest to. That he served every one of his disciples. And so just think about this for yourself. Who are you naturally inclined to serve first? Who does your heart and your hands gravitate towards serving? Taking care of, meeting the needs of, and if we're honest with ourselves, it's the people we're closest to. People we favor, people we get along with, people we've known the longest, people we're most comfortable with. And it's not sinful, it's not wrong to gravitate that way, It's not wrong to gravitate toward those we know best, to those we're most comfortable with. That inclination isn't the problem. The problem is if we limit our serving only to those people. Because then we're missing the point Jesus is making. That if you as a Christian only serve those who you feel comfortable with, only those you want to serve, only those you like and are closer with, then you're acting no different than a Gentile. You know, Jesus said something very similar to this in the Sermon on the Mount when he said this, For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do you, not even the Gentiles do the same? I think Jesus is a challenge and what we learn from this example is if you serve only your inner three, the people you favor, the people you most like, then that itself is not an actual mark that you belong to Christ. Even unbelievers serve those who they like best. To serve indiscriminately means I won't just focus on the people that I want to serve, but I'll actually serve everybody God has placed in the community around me. I'll begin to serve where there is need and where that need presents itself. So Peter didn't just serve peter or Jesus didn't just serve Peter, but he served all of his disciples. But then the second person mentioned is very interesting because we're also told about Judas Iscariot. Now before Jesus starts to wash his disciples' feet, John goes out of his way to mention up front this really important detail. All right, John mentions this detail up front because he wants you to read the rest of the story with this in mind, and that comes in verse two. Where John writes, during supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now John wants us to know that Judas had already committed to betraying Jesus. He wasn't flirting with it in his mind, he wasn't mauling it over, he wasn't picking flower petals saying, you know, should I betray him, should I betray him not? This wasn't what's happening. The devil had already put it into Judas's heart. Judas was committed to betraying Jesus. It was already said, this was going to happen. And John puts that up front because Jesus knowing this, knowing through Judas' betrayal that he would be crucified, knowing this, he still served. He knew his death and resurrection were right there on the horizon. That's why he says in verse 11, for he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, although Jesus knew who was going to backstab him and betray him, although he knew the intention of Judas's heart and his head, even then Jesus stooped low to serve him. And what we see here is that the great servant is not only refusing to play favoritism and serve only those he prefers, but he's choosing to even serve his enemies. I think there could have been plenty of ways that Jesus could have avoided this. I can think of a couple. If I were Jesus and I knew this guy was going to betray me, when they came in for dinner knowing I was going to wash their feet, I would have assigned them seats. And then I would have put Judas last. And then I would have washed their, you know, their feet with the water in the basin. And right before Judas, I would have actually knocked it over and said, oh, I ran out of water. I'm sorry. I know that's what I would have done. Jesus could have orchestrated an interruption a disruption. Somebody yelling fire right before he got to Judas. Oh, Judas, we're going to have to do this next time. He could have washed four or five disciples' feet, seen Judas and said, oh man, I don't want, okay guys, now do as I did and have other people serve. Jesus could have escaped this. There are a million things he could have done to escape serving Judas, but he made no excuse. He chose to wash the feet of his backstabbing friend. He chose to serve his betrayer. And from this, we see this important posture of servanthood from Jesus. There is nobody to beneath me. This is the posture of Jesus' servanthood that we need to learn. There is nobody too beneath me. Now pause and reflect on this for a second because if you give me enough time, I can list plenty of people, I think, are beneath me. Left to my sinful thoughts, I can come up with a very long list. And if you're honest with yourself, you can too. We can all easily come up with a list of people who are beneath us to serve, because there are people, some people that we think deserve it more than others, some people we think deserve it less than others. That's why we play favorites. That's why we naturally gravitate towards serving other people over others. So our our serving, it screams of partiality. Now we serve others, we show preferential treatment for a variety of reasons. You know, maybe we serve this one person and another person because I can get something from this person. There's a benefit I can receive. And if I, if I serve them, then I can gain their acceptance, their approval. If I serve them, maybe I can ask for a favor later. If I serve them, I can get some social points. Right, I'll have a better reputation because now I'm associated with them. Right? We serve for all of these different kinds of reasons, and that's why we prefer some people over others. Maybe you serve somebody because you're paying them back. They did this for me, oh, I need to serve them. I owe them. I'm in their debt. I need to show I'm thankful. But here's the thing. It's because we're so distracted with serving certain people for these kinds of reasons that other people go neglected. This is what ends up happening. It's not that any of you are going, I'm not going to serve that person, although I'm sure that is in some of our hearts sometimes, but it's not so much that we are intentionally refusing and consciously deciding not to serve others. The problem is I'm so focused on serving some people that I lose sight of other people because I'm I'm serving discriminately. And that's the great neglect and harm that can befall community. If we start playing favoritism in who we're serving and we're only serving our friends and the people we're close to, then the community begins to hurt. You know, Jesus calls us to serve one another, to follow his example. I'm not only serving my inner three, I'm also serving my enemy and everybody in between. Right, to serve the whole community means not just select members, because nobody is beneath you. And Jesus wants us to serve the whole body of Christ, not just certain parts of the body. Right? Do you ever look in the mirror and are unsatisfied with the way certain parts of your body look? You know let's say for example and this is purely coincidental as I was writing this and thought of this illustration I said imagine you look in the mirror and you're dissatisfied with the way your ears look and then I looked in the mirror and I began reflecting on my own ears (laughs) and I and I have what you call attached or free earlobes like they kind of dangle you guys, if you notice, my earlobes are huge. All right, they have so much surface area, you can play football on them. You know, I, I, once I came up to the exam, I looked in the mirror and I said, yeah, I don't like my earlobes, but does that mean when I hop in the shower, I wash every part of my body except my ears? Do I skip the part of my body I'm not fond of? Right, of course not. You wash your whole body indiscriminately. You serve the whole body. No part of my body is beneath me. Now at the same time you may look in the mirror and there may be parts about you that you do like you are fearfully and wonderfully made by god formed intricately in your mother's womb so let's say that you look in the mirror and there's something you do like you like uh, the way your cheeks look do you direct all of your attention at your cheeks do you only wash and lotion your cheeks And by the way, I'm talking about cheeks on your face, not the other cheeks. (laughs) Do you focus only on one part of your body because you like it more than the rest? Of course not, because no part of your body is beneath you. So then, too, in serving the body of Christ, you serve everybody without discrimination. Nobody is beneath you. To follow after Christ means that we're servants of all and we're servants to all. That's the posture of Jesus in his example so what does that mean for you now in this community as we grow larger and larger it's going to be natural don't be disappointed when there are uh, what we people call cliques or just groups of people who uh, form closer social relationships that's inevitable there's nothing wrong with that the problem is when you only start limiting who you serve and preferential treatment toward those people above others because it's gonna be tempting to want to only serve some people, that when you stand up from a table to go get water, you only turn to your two friends and say, do you want some water? Well, what about the other three thirsty people around you? And it'll be tempting to serve only them, but we're called to serve all. And the truth is this, also, in any community of broken sinners, it also means there are gonna be people in this church you don't get along with, that you're not gonna be best friends with. You're cordial, you're nice, but maybe they've done something to slight you they've they've hurt you they have disappointed you they let you down in some kind of way and because of that it'll be really tempting to maybe ignore them a little bit to not make yourself available to them or maybe to serve them last instead of first but to serve and following christ's example means you make every effort to serve those God has placed in your life, in your community, regardless of whether or not they are your bestie or they are your enemy. You don't serve people based on warm feelings toward them. You don't not serve people based on cold feelings against them. You serve all as Christ has served all. That's the posture of servanthood, but, but listen to this. That's the posture Jesus sets. That's the example he lays out. But the power to serve that way doesn't come from the example. Right? Because if anything, seeing this kind of service Jesus does only makes us feel more guilty for not actually serving in this kind of way. Because I know I live so oppositely of him. The power doesn't come from the example because the power can't come from the example. The power must come from the gospel. You see, Jesus washed his disciples' feet and then he told them to do the same. But washing the feet of his disciples was so much more than just a display of servanthood. Washing the feet was an exam, was a picture, a foreshadow of what Jesus came to do. And this is why in verse 8, Jesus says to Peter, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Because washing his disciples' feet was a symbol of the way Jesus would wash away their sins. In fact, the sins of the world. And Jesus is saying that without my cleansing blood shed for you, you can have no part, no share, no inheritance with me. The act of feet washing was a symbol. It was foreshadowing what Jesus was going to do. And so the act of feet washing in John 13 would soon be eclipsed by the act of cross bearing in John 19, where Jesus would die in the place of the very people who put him on the cross. And he would do this, of course, so that through the shedding of his blood, he would wash you and me clean from the inside out. You know, Jesus served us with his life but he did this not while we were his favorites, not while we deserved it, not while he owed us, not while we could offer any value to him or not while we could benefit him in any way. Rather, as Romans 5.10 says, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. We are, are the judases backstabbers and betrayers enemies of god in our sin and yet jesus did not let that disqualify us from his service he could have easily declared you are too beneath me to serve but he didn't See, only when you own up to your sin and you confess that Jesus had no reason to serve me by giving up his life for me, only when in your heart you get the gospel and it begins to melt some of that hardness that you have, only then will you see, listen, if nobody is beneath Jesus, if I am not beneath Jesus serving, how can I see anybody else as too beneath me to serve? It's utterly impossible. The gospel alone gives you the power to serve and to follow the posture that Jesus' example gives. That's the first point. Here's the second. The power and posture to serve humbly. The power and posture to serve humbly. When Jesus gets on his knees to wash Peter's feet, Peter responds in verse 6 by saying, Lord, do you wash my feet? And then again in verse 8, he's so surprised, he says, you shall never wash my feet. Now the question is, why was Peter so adamant that Jesus not do this? And some of you may know the background to this. If you don't, let me explain. Culturally, washing somebody's feet was an act that was beneath any dignified Jewish man. In fact, it was such a lowly act, not even all slaves had to do it. On some occasions, even slaves weren't required to wash the feet of guests in somebody's home. In fact, what the host would do is he would provide the water basin and the towels and say, wash your own feet. And the reason is because, you know, ancient sources tell us at the time of Jerusalem that um, the streets would have been littered with refuse and all sorts of animal excrements, right? And people walked around all of this dirt and filth with open-toed sandals. And so even if you did a good job avoiding the solids, then you could still get hit by the splashes. I let your imagination fill in the rest. And so Peter, knowing this, he's a product of his culture. He understands what's happening. That's why he's so offended for Jesus, and he's actually offended at Jesus. Jesus, how can you descend so low to do this? You would wash my feet. You shall never wash my feet, he says. And part of it is, remember in verse 6 and verse 9, when Peter addresses Jesus, what does he call him? It says he calls him Lord is saying, how can you, my Lord, somebody who is higher than me, somebody who is above me, stoop down so low and serve me? And his objection is basically this. Jesus, you're too good for this. You're too above this. And Jesus' response is so simple. It's, yes, I am. You're exactly right. I am too above this. And yet, I am willing to humble myself and serve others because there is no act too beneath me. See, this is the second posture we need to learn from Christ's example. The first is, there is nobody to beneath me. The second is this, there is nothing to beneath me. There is no act of service that I'm not willing to do. I will do the lowest of lows in my service to you. You know, in my early 20s, I was preaching at a youth retreat for some Korean church in uh, New York City. And um, I remember this particular retreat. It was, the group was just this very zealous, uh, passionate group of kids. Uh, you know, because the first detail they told me is, this is a five-day retreat. A Monday to Friday. Think about how long that is. And I remember this. On the first evening, after I preached, uh, as many groups like this usually do, they entered a time of prayer. They prayed for three hours that first night and they continued that every evening of the retreat and so as the last night of the retreat came I was dreading (laughs) it because I thought if they prayed if they prayed three hours every evening leading up to the last night how long would the last night go well it took a surprise turn because right after I preached I headed to the back and they began setting up these chairs in this big circle. And then all of the, the gophers, the staff started to bring out these, uh, you, you know what I'm talking about, There's these red um, reddish rubber tubs that Koreans used to make kimchi in. Uh, they brought up these tubs and they started filling them with water. And that's when the youth director announced that uh, they were gonna practice feet washing as Jesus did in John 13. And that all of the counselors were gonna serve uh, and wash the feet of the students. And I remember it was like midnight at this time, uh, and I was so exhausted and, you know, preaching and praying for four straight days, and, and I was just kind of in the back. Just, I'll be honest, I was nodding off. And one of the counselors comes up to me and says, you know, Pastor Andrew, I would love to wash your feet. And at this point, delirium had taken over, and I looked at him, and I said, no, it's okay, I'm good. <laughs> and I remember they said, huh? And I said, well, I said, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Well, eventually I obliged, and um, I don't remember all the specifics of it, but uh, I just remember this feeling. You know, this is a, a, over a decade later. I do remember this feeling as I was sitting there. This person had no idea who I was. At this point, by the way, I had, a, I had gone to the podiatrist just a lot. I had a bunch of feet problems, right? Like, my feet looked like I had kicked a running lawnmower. That, that's what they look like. And and, and this guy was, was washing my feet. And I remember just the, the feeling of uh, feeling so incredibly humbled of being served, but then I distinctly remember, because I was so self-focused, like, oh, I'm being so humbled in this, but realizing, how humbling is it for this guy, who doesn't even know me, to touch the feet of a stranger and to wash it? Right, consider the utter humility required to wash somebody's feet. Right? It's so humbling because the act is actually so humiliating. Would you be able to do it? if we decided that one of the, the next community group event was to do feet washing, I guarantee you it'd be the lowest attended CG meeting of the year. <laughs> and yet, here is the posture that Jesus' example teaches us. There, there is nothing too beneath me. I have come as a servant, and there is nobody too beneath me, there is nothing too beneath me to do. There's no act of serving that's too under me. There's nothing that I'm too good for, too important to do, too proud to do. Here's the thing, when you think about Jesus, Jesus as a man serving his disciples' feet, the Lord, the teacher, the rabbi, the master, going against all of the cultural norms of his day, it's absolutely humbling to think of his act of service. Jesus, The teacher, the rabbi, serving, absolutely humbling. But then when you think Jesus, as the eternal son of God, washing not his disciples' feet, but sinners' feet, not going against just the cultural norms of his day, but going against the created order of the universe, it's not only absolutely humbling, it is cosmically offensive to think that Jesus would wash their feet. Right? The creator serving the creature, unspeakable, God-serving man, that's blasphemous, the king serving rebels, outrageous. And yet the Son of God, in space and time, incarnated himself, taking on human flesh like one of us, came not to be served, but to serve. And in doing so, he said, nobody here, no matter how guilty and sinful and rebellious and how much you reject me, backstab me and betray me, is too beneath me to serve. And there is no act, whether that be foot washing or dying on the cross, that is too beneath me. To learn from Christ's posture means there can be no room for pride. There's only room for humility. Well, here's the thing every one of you serves. Everybody serves one another. Of course, you do. You're not so utterly selfish that you've never served another person. That's not the issue. You're not supposed to pat yourself on the back because you serve in some ways. Because the question is do you serve in all ways? Do you limit how you serve others according to what you deem is fitting for you? What's not beneath you? And we all have things that we consider beneath us, things that aren't worth our time, things that aren't worth our energy, things that are too demeaning for us, things that we think, why do I have to do this? Anybody else can do this. And it's our sense of self-importance and self-entitlement that often is the roadblock, the obstacle from serving one another. But the humble attitude of Christ is, I'm thinking about you instead of me. I'm putting you above myself. And we need to begin to ask our hearts and ask ourselves, what are those things that I think are too beneath me to do? the posture of humble service is what we need to follow and learn from Jesus you know I'm just gonna say this I'll give you a perfect example and I love our elders for this it's a little bit of a rebuke it's a little bit of encouragement elders of the church are called to shepherd the church that's the primary task in Acts 6, the deacons were created so that, um, they, they could, that the apostles could spend time praying and preaching the word. So the deacon is created to serve the church, right? Um, now, you go to a lot of these Korean immigrant churches, um, and they have property, and who needs to take care of that property? Right. Those who are called to serve the church, the practical, material, you know, needs of the church. A book of church order says to take care of the church property, and that's the role of the deacons, right? Um, my encouragement is, um, you come to church and we play on the grass, and or I guess you don't play, play on the grass. We have some stuff on the grass, and, and we walk outside, and um, you know, have you ever thought like, who cuts the grass? Like who comes to church on a Saturday? And gives up their Saturday away from family to, to come and serve the church in this kind of way. And it's our elders. And I'm so greatly encouraged by that because, you know, I'm, I'm a you know elder too. And and I'm glad no one's ever asked me to cut the grass because if they did, I know my pride would come up and say that's too beneath me. But our elders, our ruling elders, they come on the weekends and they they cut the grass without recognition. Without I mean, I don't know how many of you. Right? If you knew the elders cut the grass, nod your head. Right? Very few of you, some of you know, but most of you don't know. And yet the kind of humble attitude and posture of, that's, that's not too beneath me. Right? That's the kind of gospel posture that, that we need to take in serving, that there's nothing too beneath me. The rebuke, of course, is, as deacons, what are you doing? <laughs> I do it in love. We are called to serve one another because there's nothing beneath us. But it's not a mere motivational talk and an inspiring, hey guys, let's do this, let's do a really good job. Because by sheer effort and willpower, um, there's absolutely no reason that we would serve in ways that are beneath us. And the only way that you can actually begin to serve in this kind of way is when the gospel is implanted into your hearts. Now, Apostle Paul was meditating on something similar to this, and he says the only way way you can have a humble posture to put the needs of others above yourself and to serve others uh, above yourself, that nothing is too beneath you, uh, only comes when the gospel is planted deep within. In fact, he says in Philippians 2 this, You will only ever follow in Christ's example of humble service when you understand that you are a recipient of Christ's humble service. That Jesus put your interest above his own. And you know what? Jesus' life wasn't marked with a few acts of humble service. His very life, his very presence with us was an act of humble service as he is God come in human flesh. In order to grasp the absolute humility and the depth to which Christ sunk, that nothing was too beneath him, we need to remember what we confessed in the Nicene Creed earlier in our service. There we said Jesus is the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God. And it was this eternal Son of God who came to this earth, in human nature, clothed in the frailty of human flesh, in order to steep low, to stoop low, and to wash His disciples' feet, and take upon Himself the wrath that we sinners deserved. And only, it's only when you understand the height from which He came for us, and the depths to which He sunk for us, and then the cross that He endured for us, to the washing of His blood, that your heart will begin to be changed. Because if the cross is not too below the creator, then what could be too menial, too insignificant, too basic, too unimportant, too beneath you to serve others with joy and humility? You must realize that there is nothing too beneath me and I can do all things for others because Christ did the most difficult thing for me. You see, in this way, the example of Jesus shows you the posture of true servanthood, but it's only the gospel of Jesus that gives you the power to live as a true servant. And as we wrap up, let's just keep chewing on this passage. Really read it a few more times this week. And as you do, prayerfully ask God to give you a serving heart to serve others, to serve others in this community. And here are four questions that I'd like us to um, close and just as we think about. I'll include them in the pastoral letter, so if you can't write them down, it's fine question one who are the people i've neglected serving in preferential treatment for some who are those i've neglected serving second in what areas have i avoided serving and then very related question three if i'm not above serving anybody who can i start serving today and this week and question four if i'm not above serving in any way how can I start serving today and this week? You know, we want to be a church that that serves well. You spend time thinking through these questions, and I believe that the power of the gospel at work in us and among our community, that through it, God will form and he will fashion us to be a serving community that reflects Christ to one another. You've been given the posture in Christ's example. You have the power in Christ's gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have modeled for us in your son, Jesus, what it means to be a true servant. We see it in so many ways. We see his service through washing the feet of his disciples. But more than that, we see his service through taking on the cross to die for our sins and wash us clean. And even then, we see his service in taking on human frailty. And entering this world as a servant. But in so many ways, we are confronted with Jesus Christ, the one who has served us. I pray, Lord, that that would transform our hearts. That really getting it would not just be an example to follow as if Jesus was another Gandhi or Mother Teresa, but he was the creator who took on the cross. He was the eternal one who was buried in the earth. And when we understand that and it penetrates deep within, it transforms us to be servants. So Lord, make me a servant. Make my friends servants. And do it all for your glory, we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. People of God, receive now the benediction. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior and the servant who gave up his life for us, Jesus Christ, And the love of God the Father Almighty and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all both now and forevermore. Amen. Hear now the dismissal. Let us go forth to serve the world as those who love our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Thanks be to God. Go in peace, friends.